podcast listeners. If you hear my voice right now, I need you to do something for me. I want you to take out your phone or on your computer, go to Apple Podcasts, search for Ask Your Old Head Podcast. You'll see my, my logo, my little picture, my little image there. Find the show. Please rate and write a review. It's a small thing, but it helps others find this work and find what I'm doing here. And it really, really matters, uh, as small as that may seem. So if you could please do that uh, before we get into the show, I very much appreciate it. Thank you for listening. Let's get into it. Peace. This is Good Brothers. As always, take the best part for yourself. Peace. I'm Majestic. My brother Justice, what's happening? Man, I'm... Um, uh, you know, we're here again where, where we That's are, right. and at the where time, we we do are, it. Right. <laughs> um, That's right. So, y'all pay up, indeed. <laughs> and so, um, this week, um, you know, and I guess as as has been a thing this year, um, and as we've expected, you know, we, we've had another, you know, who I would feel comfortable saying, you know, you know, leader of the last age, um, you know, return, um, in this case, being Vernon Jordan. Uh, past, I guess that was midweek, like Wednesday yeah. or Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I don't know how current generation, I don't know how young folks now, one, I don't know how they see or understand Vernon Jordan. And two, I don't know how they would characterize Vernon Jordan, especially within wherever we're at with this like uh, tense dynamic of black capitalism versus black uh, not capitalism, because like I said, I'm not gonna call it socialism because I don't totally know if that's what people think it is. You know, but whatever this, this we have an internal operate like conversational, academic, and community. I think organizing tension around like how money and business and all these things work. Mm-hmm. Um, and so sometimes, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't remember this week seeing this, like, an outpouring of understanding in terms of people who I guess would see themselves as, you know proponents of blackness speaking to vernon jordan's return so that to me indicates that some people either don't really know or they don't hold him in that esteem or they frame him maybe in a different light but um i thought you know when you 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 thought and i agreed what you thought that we should make some space to talk about vernon jordan today and um and i wholeheartedly 100 percent agree so um i mean i guess I, I can give people the quick the, the super quick uh um Historical aspect, you know, Vernon Jordan, you know, was a, uh, you know, one of the, you know, the NAACP uh, rep, I think, for the state of Georgia. Um, mm-hmm. um, you know, so his contemporaries, Mega Evers, um, what's uh, the brother in Florida, um, I'm glad I can't name, I can't recall off the top, um, and other such, like he was in that generation of workers. He, you know, was from Atlanta, originally born in 1935, uh, went, you know, Howard Law School, worked for, uh, Hollowell, you know, uh, one of the, the big lawyers uh, of the NAACP in the South during the civil rights movement. Um, and um, later went on to run the Urban League uh, for a long time and then went on in many ways to become sort of the brother in the room in terms of uh, breaking down doors with boards in corporate America. Um, advisor or, or, you know, confidant to presidents. I think most people probably of our generation would 
at least maybe connected most to Bill Clinton um, because at that time when Bill Clinton did what he was doing, you know what I'm saying, Republicans tried to come after him, you know what I mean, which was not a veiled at all attempt to discredit him and in, in his impact within the corporate world. Um, but um, yeah, so that, that's a couple quick facts, man. But what, what's your thoughts, I guess, just to get us moving on Vernon yeah. Jordan and his return? So I think one of the first things I want to talk about, I think is your point, to be made around how, you know, a, a titan of Black America could could pass and it'd be totally based on age and the time that you're around of the importance that you put on it, right? So again, in this broader time of, you know, it, it's funny when you juxtapose it versus like Judas and the Black Messiah, right? And everyone's like, we don't need Black capitalism. We need, you know, socialism. We need fire, fire with fire. We need fire, fire with water. And I think a lot of young people really engage in embracing the message of, of, of Chairman Fred Hampton. So you juxtapose what, and I think we should be clear that movie was made as an extension of capitalism, mm-hmm. right? Like <laughs> there was a movie made about Chair, Fred Hampton, Chairman Fred Hampton's life to make money. Right. Like they made the movie. It wasn't a documentary, right? No. They made the movie to make money. And there were people who were paid handsomely to make the money. And, you know, fortunately, those people have been supportive of uh, Chairman Fred Hampton Jr. and and Mama, uh, the wife of Fred Hampton, and Hampton House. So, I mean, I think there's a that's really positive. But it's important to see that that dichotomy that while people are bringing the chairman's name back up, they did it. They're doing it via a movie mm-hmm. <laughs> and with actors who are being paid, right? And soundtracks right. <laughs> at corporate at corporate places, right? Indeed. The, Indeed. the very thing that Vernon Jordan was known for. Yep. Right? The ability to be in the room to have conversations to get things greenlit, right? To get people access. Right? Mm-hmm. Like that idea, very similar to, you know, uh the brother, uh the black godfather. You know what I'm saying? From 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 out LA. You know what I mean? Like this idea that while we're championing things on corporate mediums, right? Facebook's a corporate medium, Twitter's a corporate medium, <laughs> about a corporate movie, but knocking capitalism. Now again, that's not to say that in any way I'm a wholehearted proponent of hyper and global capitalism that has made, you know, har- has horrible impacts on people. It's just the irony of the American system. So anyway, um, yeah, I just think it's about an age thing. I think, you know, people a little older than us and up remember that, you know, at one point, Vernon Jordan was kind of like one of the leaders of Black America. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. He was one of the people, you know, who, who was doing all these kind of things. And, and again, being at some point, you could argue, probably the most powerful Black man in America and definitely the most powerful unelected black man in America, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. With being in the shadow cabinet of Bill Clinton, President Clinton, right? And just what, you know, what that means and what that represents and what part of the struggle of black, black and by extension brown people in America, his role has played for the economic and social norming we find ourselves with today. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really important component for us to think about. What does it mean when someone has fought for certain things become norms? 
And just like people fought so much for the norm for you to be able, as he often would say, to be able to go into the hotel, then it was someone who fought for you to be able to pay for the hotel once you were done. Mm. Right? And so that conversation around both sides of this equation that we still find ourselves having today in that corporate America still has to has miles to go on. I just think without him, you don't have the too few people that we take for granted as head of corporate uh, head of corporations. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But, you know, Ursula Burns, the Ken Chenault's like without those kind of people, without Vernon Jordan, it's difficult to get those people. It's difficult to lead from the top and get black people to be hiring people who look like them to get women that people to hire look like them. Right. That kind of, you know, glass ceiling that he was able to shatter that then allowed other people to be able to shatter that has made this world palpably different. Even if we're in a time that doesn't necessarily seem to be kind of like that doesn't want to be chronicled, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, so I did, you know, um, you know, I tried to accelerate my, you know, what's up with Vernon Jordan, you know, personal update, you know what I'm saying? In the light of this, just so, you know, I mean, I, I could speak with a fresh mind on a couple things. Um, you know, so there's a good, there's a pretty good uh, PBS, you know, little doc that came out last year, actually, that's um, available to the end of March, I think, free most places in the country. So if you ain't, if you want to at least get a, a little crash course on the man, you know, I would suggest you check that out. Um, but one of the things that I, I thought about um, initially when he passed was was one, and it's something in, so I went and also located, um, the interviews on uh, I think it's Joe Middleton uh, podcast mm-hmm. or uh, or radio show. I guess it's on Sirius, yeah. but um, this was from like 2010. So a little older, obviously, you know. But in the um, in the interview, you know, Joe asked him about like leadership and being a leader and and some other. We asked him about Obama, which and then it was like two three threads. But you know, it was clear one that Vernon's intent on, in that discussion was to talk about leadership. <laughs> Right. Um, so like one, and it's something that he starts off in the, in the PBS joint, he's like writing a speech and he's talking about the importance of being someone that's asked to speak. Right. And as two people who get asked to speak <laughs> a lot, mm. you might sometimes um, understand this in an intuitive way, or, you know, at least I would say sometimes I know that part of being people asking you to speak is they're confident you're going to say, say something worth being heard. <laughs> mm. Right. And so he speaks about the role of a speaker, um, saying something that is meaningful that people will listen to and want to hear, um, but also that that is useful, right? That is is going to improve or help them or or will move and move something forward. Um, and so he asked him about Obama and like you know what you know where you know what is what his presidency meant at that point, you know, and he just spoke to look his first hundred days is leadership, like he's in there and he's he's establishing some form of guidance of what's happening here right and um and then he goes though to this you know he asks him and, and i don't think he's not the first person i've heard say this so i don't think he was in any way trying to claim the idea but differentiating between when he was head of the urban league that he had a constituency right and so he was a black leader because he had a constituency that he was responsible and, and accountable to, right? And he had to mm-hmm. speak to that constituency's needs, speak to that constituency's uh, values, what, they, what they've what they asked him 
to do as their as their appointed leader, <laughs> right? Um, and then he differentiated being a leading black, meaning somebody that you know people might value what I say, but I'm not. A, I don't have a constituency. I'm not. I'm not, I'm not a- actively accountable to anyone, right? And I think we. Mm. We've discussed this a bit with over this last year with the you know with 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 the with the, with the current iteration of you know you know community uprisings and you know racial uh, tumult and and the BLM and the, and the not BLM and the, and this and the, you know whatever all the, the different shades you know but that tension of you know when you were creating a a functionally for tactical reasons sort of leaderless movement the other side of that is you sort of don't have an accountability device for the ideas. Right, mm. and what's said or who's stating for whom, and and you know, and, and and I'm not saying it's a good or a bad thing, but it's a thing to think about, you know, because then when we're, you know, framing what people should or shouldn't do, and I think that shows up in even this this response, you know, to his passing, is that we, and also points to the second thing, which I don't hope I get to both of these before I pass back to you. One is that it was clear to me, and then even reading. Through you know when you read through his uh, book uh, Vernon Carey <laughs> and mm-hmm. um, and um, and I'm reading his other joint on making it by, on public speaking um, that <clears throat> it's important to like he understood that people need to be in leadership roles and that people leading things is not the same as like being a member. Like that's mm-hmm. one thing I took from looking at the way he's operated and moved. Right, he uh, there was a part in the thing where I think I don't remember if it was in that area, but but talking about uh, why he didn't take the attorney generalship. You know what I mean from from Clinton, right? And you know, and it's one of those things if you're just looking for the next like spot to be like, you know, oh, I'll be the first black attorney general. But he had the wisdom to go, yeah, that'd be great. You know what I mean? But he, he I think he says uh, the Bill Clinton is basically like. But if you, if when you need some advice, I can't help you. When you need me to be a person that's going to give you valuable input, who are you going to go to, right? He, at some point, recognized that his most valuable place in the service of, I, I'm going to say in the service of Black people and also the, lar- the larger service of, like, America, the entity being, or in any way, inspiring or reaching the ideas that are captured in paper is me being a person that can influence outcomes in these different spaces. It's not, it's not for me to be the face of something or the, you know, you know, now, you know, the president of black people, so to speak, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. um, and, and, and so when you see him, uh, you know, I think there's a, I think one of the joints where it talks about Goldman Sachs and it's like, Goldman, you know, Goldman Sachs asked you to be on the board. You gotta, you know, you gotta look at that. <laughs> Am I supposed to say no? Like, I'm supposed sure. to say no? Like, what, what kind of sense does that make? And it's, um, and so you know, for me, I was thinking about that, you know, tied with the understanding that, um, you know, all that also is backdropped by a skill set. <laughs> right. So it's, it's not mm-hmm. just this like I'm a, in the role of prominence or privilege just by happenstance. I also have skills. <laughs> I have communication skills. I have understanding of systems and and functions of things. I understand, you know, I, I, I'm a, I'm observing of people. I have a, a, a capacity of engage to engage and be present in spaces and um, not just earn people's trust, but show that they're that my, you know, they people value my presence because it points it does does something to the function of things. And 
you know, whether one thinks, you know, black and brown people excelling, you know, thing within corporate boards is a corporate apparatus in general is a good or bad thing. I mean, that's, you know, we, we could debate that. Um, it definitely, it definitely is not a good thing for us to be fully, you know, to be not there, not there right. and then also not have our own thing that can operate without the other thing. <laughs> right. And right. So that was one of my, uh, you know, first thoughts or, or impacts, like kind of reviewing, you know, how he moved and, and the places that he showed up. Well, I think to add on, I think it's important too, because Vernon Jordan also, and I think this is something again, that is kind of built into many of our perspectives today. It's like there are different form, there are different uh, acts of your life, right? Mm-hmm. So on Vernon Jordan's like, I think you see a really interesting thing coming out of the civil rights movement heading into the 80s, 90s, into the, to the next millennium, where you had him playing, well, one, I think, place is a very important conversation with Vernon Jordan. One, in being born in Atlanta and his mother having a successful business. I think it's a really important part. And so the idea of Vernon can read comes from the governor mocking, saying that he could read, right? Mm-hmm. As his mother was, you know, doing commerce, which is a conversation that you and I know we're going to have some about kind of like a provocative book. <laughs> <Let's just say laughs> that. Um, but like doing commerce, and then he, he goes and does what you would argue many of the race men of that time did. Right. He became a lawyer, helped with the uh, desegregation of the University of Georgia. Right. Like did all the things that we would say in that time was representative of serving the needs of black people. So he does a, does a voter education project, you know, works with NAACP, is a lawyer, gets his law degree from Howard, works with Thurgood Marshall. Right. He does all the things that we say. And then next, his next kind of act, if you will, is then the act of the transition to leadership by that point of organizations. You know what I'm saying? And when you look at, you know, we talk about the Urban League, but one of the things is he was briefly the head of United Negro College Fund. Mm-hmm. And at one point was the head of United Negro College Fund and the Urban League at the same time, because he was trying to make sure that the United Negro College Fund wasn't left in the lurch. Mm. So yeah. he moves to a level of leadership of institutions that then have to engage with the broader society. So whether it's looking at getting resources from uh, funders, many of whom were white during the UNCF time, to the Urban League, which was kind of at that point, the leader at kind of talking about, and to your point about constituency leadership, the leader at talking about the issues and concerns of Black people from a constituency-based thing that meant you had to listen to this leader, that this leader was accountable to a community, and the community was accountable to the leader, meaning if the leader knew what the community said, they would get rid of him. Mm Right. Many of our institutions um, have gone through different challenges to the point where we have all we have almost become contemptuous of our institutions. Yeah. Right. And have opted for different uh, 
organizational strategies, right? Yeah. Um, but from 71 to 81, essentially being the person in the room dealing with presidents, dealing with corporations, getting them to invest in places they didn't invest, getting them to engage around the black community around what some of the goals, because obviously, and he talks about it in the book, it's not all of the goals of the black community. It was always a tension between, at that point, what he called the militants and, mm-hmm. you know, folks who were looking for more of a broader engagement in society. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? So that that's not new, right? So he does that for 10 years. He's obviously shot in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Um, and then he decides to take another kind of space in the arc of here's the institution. We ran the institution. The institutions are strong. Now, one, personally, what do I go do in advocacy of Black people, right, that may not be as directly connected to a constituency group, but based on my experience, is also forwarding the interest of this particular group in spaces where to before this we have not been. Which again, now, 40 years later, we all take that for granted, right? We like even the idea, for example, Jay-Z selling a business and getting on Square's board, right? That's mm-hmm. like, oh, okay, yeah, Jay-Z sold a business and got on Square's board. No, Jay-Z being a board director on Square, that's a unique thing. And if you don't have the, the Vernon Jordans of the world making it real, that that's where black people need to be, looking at the overall fiduciary and health of an organization, then you don't have some of those things. So I think he, he showed people the acts that you can function in by being dedicated to your community through your lens, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's also something that we all have to kind of deal with. Like, what does it mean to be dedicated to your community through your lens? Which doesn't mean everyone's always going to agree with the lens. Mm-hmm. But can you look at the situation and say, what is my personal contribution to my community in ways that I can give back and provide leadership in ways that make black people's lives better. And it may always not be the institutional way. It may not be the advocacy way, but it's still going to be a way that has this broader, broader impact. Yeah. And uh, something that I think this is a, a point that folks should, should consider and think about too, when he took over, as the head of the Urban League, um, I think he was the first that had not been a social worker before, if not him and Whitney Young, but I think he was the first who who basically didn't have a background in, in social service, so to speak. Um, yes. You know what I mean? Like, and, and you know, I, I think that's significant in terms of, you know, um, you know, understanding sort of like, you know, what the Urban League shows up now, at least in most cities i don't know all places i know it's usually much more policy focused mm-hmm. um then i mean well you know here it really does do does do a lot of the kind of bounce a little bit of both because it does do um several like service programs but the, the even the origin of like the urban league coming to portland <laughs> or starting that in portland was you know as black people started really migrating here in larger numbers uh uh, the leadership, as it were, of the city, you know, basically implored, uh, I think it was, a, I don't want to misquote the history, um, but basically, after some issues, uh, 
uh, brother came out. Uh, now I'll find a name and put it in the thing if I can find the link, the Oregon Historical Society article about it. Um, and basically, basically, like, can y'all help us with these black people? <laughs> like, like the Urban League, we were coming and fix the problems and shit. And, mm-hmm. and Urban League was like, well, actually, you need to make this, you know, the city shit ain't fair out here. And, you know, if you want, if you want the black people to be cool, like, you need to improve you know their, their their situation like they need to be right. able to live full lives and, and what they need to do for themselves um you know and then you know here you know that then you know led you know to the formation of the first chapter and and, and you know and all that history and i will allow um you know those who are more qualified to tell that full story um to tell it you know what i mean but the you know the reality of different organizations that are started or founded by black people you know what i'm saying but that then have a national you know, imprint, you know, is, is is a significant part of how we have, you know, worked to better our situation, you know, within this society, you know, uh, and, you know, as the Urban League, I, I think of the Urban League and NAACP as organizations that now people think of as like the establishment, so to speak, mm-hmm. um, that both of those were, were, are, were rooted in in, in challenge, you know, I mean, whether you you are agree with you know their tactics or their, um, you know, the positions they've taken over the year, and even sometimes, quite frankly, you know, the way they may function now or what they do or don't, you know, say or make a statement about, you know, that's fine. But you know, I, I would really like to get us and our own analysis to move from this to a place of having to like judge its value or its meaning, as opposed to looking at it represents an assembly of what black people think, right? And so then how can we, where can, within that, can we look for, you know, I think speaking to Chairman Fred and I think the most important thing, at least that was highlighted in the movie, Chairman Fred said, where there's people, there's power. So if you ain't really engaged with what the people want, regardless of what particular political philosophy you're espousing in your rhetoric, you ain't really about the people then. Like you gotta be about the people. And if it's people over there, you need to go talk to them people. Even if you don't, they don't agree with them or they don't agree with you. <laughs> Like, you know, I'm going to go engage with them, see what they talking about. Um, you know, and I think the straight in the way Vernon Jordan moved was I need to be able to get in the room and then I got to be able to get in the room and be able to have impact. If I can't ever get in no room with somebody that has the ability to impact my life and no one that I know can get in the room, then, you know, I'm at a, we're at a disadvantage. And, and I think that, um, you know, I, I just think that that's, something we have to wrestle with and be comfortable with. I, I see oftentimes when people don't, they don't really want to have that responsibility as I see it. Right. So then either they'll accept that they don't want that responsibility or they will try to frame a way to make it seem like wanting that responsibility is a character flaw or a deficiency of some kind, which I think, you know, just wholly unhealthy and, and, and is, you know, we're not going to get where we need to go as long as we are disparaging people who are trying to, find a way to improve our condition in our future outcomes. Um, the other thing I thought though, and I'd like to get your thought about this, how important do you think it is though? Like his, his, his you know, honestly commitment to mentorship and mentoring and, and, and bringing people along. Like what were some of your thoughts around that as it shows up in his you know life? So uh, I want to, I think these two things will tie in together. I think coming from what you just really talked about was the power of being in the room in the inside outside game. And I think, you know, through time, we have these different cycles of what we're more enamored with. 
There are times that we're more enamored with being in the room and times where the collective imagination is more enamored with being outside the room, right? I would say, generally speaking right now, the more collective imagination as propositioned by social media and current kind of political slash advocacy culture is being outside to make the change with the few people who are inside the room. But that's usually only with politics, not with corporate spaces. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we're not we're not always being like, um, forgetting the brother's name that runs Bevel right now. But like, we're not always chanting his name as we talk about somebody being down with Procter & Gamble or being on the board of Foot Locker and Shake Shack, mm-hmm. even though you eat a lot of hamburgers and buy a lot of sneakers. Right. (laughs) So it's like we just have this right now. That's our collective imagination is really the external conversation around power and (laughs) kind of pardon the horrible (laughs) parable to or connection to Trump and them, but bum rushing the show, so to speak. Right. (laughs) But they they actually did bum rush the show. We kind of talk about bum rushing the show. They literally bum rushed the show. But, you know, we discussed it already. But so. So, yeah, I think like the idea of who's in the room to talk about things that are important to you when you're not in the room. And you didn't elect that person because that's not how they got to be a director of a corporation. Right. That's just not the structure of way that's done, but it's done through influence and power in society where someone gets that ability to represent something that may be about your interest. That person is not responsible to represent everything you care for, nor are you responsible to to support or have to back everything they think. But it is rational that a person that has a background will get in the room and say something that is beneficial to Black people as a whole. And I think one one thing, I think in different ways, you know, Vernon Jordan was always comfortable where he stood in that equation even if other people weren't always happy with where he stood, right? Mm -hmm. And kind of, and that's the thing you and I both understand, when you're in systems, you gotta be okay with yourself at the end of the day. Doesn't mean everybody is always going to like how you made the decision to carry yourself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But if you know your principles, you can show them through your activities, you gotta be okay with how you moved in that room. You know what I'm saying? So. That, that's one thing, which leads to the other thing I think is a part of this conversation is mentorship and these kind of things. Again, I'm really looking at how it flowed through systems. We always talk about Andrew Young being mentored by Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Or let's use another one that may be a little more sensitive to people, but it's still relevant. Uh, Muhammad Ali and or Fer, uh, Mr. Farrakhan being uh, mentored by El Haj Shabazz. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so we just constantly, you know, we have those those examples, but then as our struggles and as our relationships shift to the systems, who goes and does the thing at that point to have the influence? So Whitney, Bur- Whitney Young influenced Vernon Jordan, which he gives the ultimate respect to Whitney Young, who I think is another person who doesn't get his kind of respect in the annals of kind of the black community. Mm, yeah. Um, because, again, I think at that time, it just wasn't seen quite as sexy in the collective imagination, what Whitney Young did versus what some others did. And then he died in a really tragic and unfortunate way um, before he got to kind of do everything he was trying to do. So 
you know, him mentoring him, then in turn, ben, Vernon Jordan mentoring Ron Brown, right? And Ron Brown, then in turn, mentoring a whole host of people and that are still in black politics to this day. Mm-hmm. So I think what starts to happen is once you start to move out of collective activity and you start to see the role of an individual taking their time to mentor and set up places for success for others, you start to see, you know, with the power of what Vernon Jordan really was able to do to say to Xerox, because he was on the board of Xerox when Ursula Burns was coming up through the ranks mm-hmm. and being able to say to them, give her another look. If he doesn't say it in the room, who says it, right? Like, how do we get that person to be able to have that? So his mentorship to a whole host of corporate people who are now in corporate America is legendary, right? That Then those folks have mentored other people. And I think the, the mentorship, I think <laughs> owing to many of our challenges and opportunities in our community, if you say mentorship, someone goes, oh, you mean like big brothers, big sisters? Or like right. we work with kids, right? Right. Like we don't even frame mentorship like adult to adult mentors. And I think that that is a really that's that's a challenge because we're missing something if we only frame what someone could do is a 21 year old mentoring a 14 year old versus a 42 year old mentoring a 29 year old. Right. Right. Like, and what does that mean for our collective success if we're only looking at mentoring in this most basic level? You know what I'm saying? So, you know, that, so I see the power in what he did was knowing, again, where he could be most effective, right? And then doing that and then bringing people along with him that, again, of that generation of people that are talking, there's no one even if they went in different directions than Vernon Jordan, have something bad to say about Vernon Jordan. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I, th- I think it's interesting, I want to go back on that, because I think the, um, I mean, Ozzy, there, there's no, there's not many pathways outside of, like, you know, you having some individual business thing or concept that you do to progress in, in any field, um, any area of service or work without, you know, some access to someone that can give you some input, some guidance on the work, right. That, that a mentor within that reality does. Um, and then often sometimes that goes and is in a position of power to go, no, no, no. You know who y'all should consider for this role? <laughs> you know, who needs to be brought in on this conversation? You know, who, you know what I mean? And, and, you know, I think that's the backdrop of the idea of networking. And I know that there's there's a thing that happens now within the context of like people's entrepreneurial practice and stuff where they do this sort of like reaching out to people and asking them to be your mentor, which I still think is a little bit weird. I mean, it's one thing to ask somebody, can I, can I have a cup of coffee with you and, and learn something as, as opposed to, can I be, can you become my mentor? I don't know. It seems, I don't know. I don't well, know it's, it's, very, it's, it's, it's very <laughs> one way. I guess yeah. what, what I would argue, that's very one way in ways that we need to think about it because it's like a relationship. Like at some point, it has to be felt in both ways, right? Like, yes, a man or a woman or, or people can make a decision to reach out to somebody else. But if that's only one way for so long, it ain't a relationship. Yeah. And so, 
you know, uh, the cup of coffee and seeing the mutual benefit is about mentorship, not this idea of what can I get from you? It ends up being, to your point, still extremely transactional mm-hmm. and not human centered. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I think that you, we, but there's also something that even read like different, like I said, some of the different sources and the stories that I went to check to prepare for this conversation. You know, he always speaks about uh, the, you know, Hollowell, uh, Mac Evers, we well, might have his being his contemporary, but like the, the people that were there <laughs> sort of instructors, sort of the people that got them situated in the work and what have you, like that they, that, and he says multiple times, like, if you think whatever I did, like, I did this because people people prepared me. <laughs> like, if you think I'm good or I'm great or whatever, it's because people prepared me. People, I, I didn't do this by myself and I didn't do it for my, just for myself, right? Um, you know, you know, the man clearly made a lot of paper. I'm just just make it plain because I'm <laughs> sure that for some folks that that's, would be the contentious, you know, or the, the, the contending viewpoint on him or his value or care for black people would be, well, he, you know, he, you know, he worked in, you know, in a, what became or was a high powered lobbying firm in DC, um, you know, you know, hundreds, you know, I think, you know, many, many corporate boards. And, and for those that you, those that don't know, when you're on a large corporation's board, they pay you. <laughs> right. You know, unlike when you, you know, that's unlike when you're on a nonprofit board yeah, where you, you give all your time and energy and you may not get a, you may not get a, a lunch or a dinner right. and, and you're expected to give money. Oh, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. So make it plain. And, right. <laughs> so, so, you know, the idea of at some juncture, they, someone is paying you for your actual experience and ways of understanding business. Yeah. Right. Yeah, Versus someone taking your time, energy, effort, and sometimes money to forward something that you care about. Now, which is fine, which I mean, I, I do have challenges with our some of our current board, like our board structures. I think that sometimes, you know, people's names are used versus their skills and experience. Mm-hmm. And then also, you know, in the community, sometimes we have to be thoughtful around what does it mean for people to be prepped to do board work. But yeah. Well, what what I what I think I will speak to it, and I speak to this from the pragmatic reality of doing good community work with great people and seeing those great people having a ton of work that they're that we that those that know appreciate and love and give and and hold esteem for them for their service, but also bear witness that they're doing a, a, a second level of like 30 hours of work, we, 30 hours, 40 hours, you know, of work that we don't have, a, we, we have not created a vision that compensates them so that they can, you know, quite frankly, be able to relax at some point, you know what I'm saying? Or we ask a lot of people that, people that serve and are in a position to serve, we ask a lot of them. And, and there becomes a point where they, you know, they either tap out you know what I'm saying? Or, you know, we get diminishing returns because they're over, you know, they they're doing too much. And I, I think that in 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 service to the alternative vision of 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 the world that we want to build, how do we make a space for people to do service, right? Um, but also then if we are doing business, we're doing economic creation, you know, things that deal with, you know, 
the, the building building of your business. Like I, I know a lot, a lot of people talk about the LLCs and all that other stuff. And I always think like, I was like, do any of people ever, I mean, like, you know, I understand if you're doing one person business, you may not need like a whole board, you know, you just need you and maybe one other person. But at some point, if you build a big entity, you're gonna need a board that can hold you accountable. <laughs> But it can like ask you questions, it can can know stuff that you don't know. And within that, are you planning the head in your entrepreneurial vision of, of personal financial dominance to pay people <laughs> for their expertise right. and wisdom? Right. Cause I well, I, it's I that cycle that. of it's the cycle of all the game is free. Right. Mm-hmm. And if I'm doing something good, then you should put me on my put me, you know, put me on my feet so I can go do it, which is okay. But to your point. A lot of our visions of building businesses don't really think about building corporations that then have to have a board that you're accountable to. So a lot of businesses are often, our vision is like build this business. And then it's not even as far as people being like, didn't sell it, which Jay-Z does. He just, you know, and yeah, I, listen. I ain't mad at him. This is strategy. Build it, sell it. Build it, sell it. It's the American way. He just made a, a whole bunch of money in last week. million or something like that (laughs) estimated last week right so but again he's going to then have the power to be on a 10 billion dollar board right Right. so he leveraged his company in making 300 million dollars to now be able to influence what Jack Dorsey does with a huge business with huge market cap Mm -hmm. again this is the Stuff that Vernon Jordan created opportunities for us to do. Yeah. Right. This is the kind of thoughtfulness. And and frankly, clearly he's and JC has had some mentorship as well as he mentors people. I just think that, you know, going back to your point, mentors and mentees have to have a have to have a trans, you know, kind of like more than transactional relationship. You might not call it transformational, but at least got to be a two-way street. Right. Um, another part of that kind of two-way street I want to talk about is his relationship with Bill Clinton um, and something that I think is not often talked about. One, you know, uh, Vernon Jordan met Bill Clinton like like early in his career, right? He mm-hmm. actually met Hillary uh, Rodham, you know, before Bill Clinton, but met him early when, you know, he was doing his thing, his failed run for... Uh, for governor of Arkansas. Mm-hmm. And one thing in the book he talks about is like, you know, he's smart and he was good people. So I kept in contact and I kept in contact even when he wasn't doing well, which is also part of our current space. We have to be very thoughtful around, which is you only reach out to people when they're up. Mm-hmm. One thing that he talked about was reaching out to people when they weren't up, because if I think you're smart, it's just a great investment. And I think you're a good person. It's just a good investment to be concerned with your out, with your, with what happens to you. Right. And I think that those are practices and techniques that, again, unless you're in the room with people who have done these kind of things, it can be difficult to know that that's how you should see the world. Right. Absolutely. Like that that's, that that's where you're at. And the other part of their, their relationship is a very little known fact about Bill Clinton. 1991, he's running. Many business leaders and other folks were extremely unsure about his campaign, extremely unsure about him, the idea of him being president. Vernon Jordan is the person that took him as part of the Bilderberger Group to Germany to meet 
global business leaders. Mm. Vernon Jordan was a Bilderberger before Bill Clinton was a Bilderberger. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like, again, and I think this speaks to sometimes how we understand power and possibility. Like the idea that there was a black man is enough to we'd be like, oh man, you're part of the boule, you're part of the rich black people. <laughs> yeah, okay. But he was part of the rich other people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he got a chance to take his friend to meet business leaders to then say, hey, you're all right with us, to then make it easier for him to become president. That debt can't be repaid. But that again, that is a two-way street. And that is something based on a relationship and to your point earlier, skills. Yeah. And the, the skills are always not the skills written down on paper, but the skills are what make you important and vital to yourself, to your family, to your community, and to a country, and to an industry. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's big, though. That's ill. I mean, I, I, I think that no one, I don't think most people would, um, I would say the way I remember experiencing the discussion of Vernon Jordan in the nineties when during the uh the Monica the the the, the Clinton impeachment investment investigation. Um it was as if like, you know what I'm saying, the, the best new characterization for my community was like Vernon Jordan along for the ride, you know what I'm saying, on 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 Clinton, you know, on, on whoever, you know what I mean, whatever right. corporate America's thing. And it's like, well, maybe. <laughs> I mean, maybe, right, but but yeah, then it's but, like, it's, but it's like but no, but but no, actually, yeah, Bernie right. Jordan brought him along, right? Put him on and gave him the access to be able to do something that he was not able to do himself, even with Yale, Oxford governor. There was still rooms he wasn't able to get into. Yeah. So, I mean, one other thing, I guess I w- I want to elevate, you know, in 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 some of the reading on him and. Um, I mean, I think that folks should also look into, right, and understand how, you know, operating in in a segregated society, you know, that was, you know, Atlanta and Georgia of his youth and, you know, where I guess where where Atlanta, where Georgia is now, where Georgia appears to be heading, (laughs) Right. In terms of, you know, political and economic influence, especially as it pertains to, to black people and other people of color, because, you know, with, within mm-hmm. the, the, the dynamic of, uh, you know, black people um, many ways moving back to the Atlanta or moving to the Atlanta area, becoming a, a continuing the line and becoming a center of, of black culture, you know, going back to when we was in high school that I felt like that started, you know, what I mean? or at least mm-hmm. I guess that's why I became aware of it is that part of how he was able to go to law school at Howard, or at least pay for it, is that the state of Georgia and other states, South Carolina, all of them, they would pay black people, they would pay the difference in the tuition for black people to go get education in other states to not stay in their state. Mm. Right. So just because I, I think when we talk about segregation and, and you know, and especially that there's a tendency these days to to speak to some sort of like that there was some virtue in our position <laughs> mm. that I, I'm just like, look, I think y'all talking too fast because none of my you know, I talked to my elders that lived through it. Ain't none of them trying to go back. So, I, you know, just but but just the idea that the state <laughs> state government would pay. If you had basically, if you was a black person that had 
you did whatever you had to do to show yourself skilled enough to get, uh, you know, whatever level of education under those conditions. They would pay another state <laughs> to take you. To, to have you. <laughs> so you wouldn't, hopefully would not come back here and, you know, we have to deal with you. <laughs> Keep kicking up dust, right. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and so that we don't even have to, we can avoid acknowledging that this is happening and that you have to, like, one, we already out, we have, have hard concrete evidence that we, we, you know, despite what maybe would have been the public statement of, uh, of, of, of government persons and also public policy, you know, as it pertained to, you know, white elected officials at those times and their political apparatus, who would have said that, oh, well, we don't even, the black people, they can't even, they can't even achieve it. Or something. Well, you put it in the state code, you're quite, you quite clearly have evidence that black people are going to do all these things because you've, you've created an eventuality to, to get them out of the, out of the state. <laughs> Right. So when we think about public policy and rules and how resources are, are, are delineated and what's what's built in to what something says when it when it says it, I just would like people to think about that. There, and it's not the first time because even something now that happens is states that want to get, you know, uh, get talented or apparently talented young people to come to their state. You know, they is they'll, they'll you know they'll let you you'll give you a t- scholarship that makes your tuition the same as in state. You know what I'm saying? Or you know all these things like these are tools that things that people that that this is how resources can shape directions. And and I st- thought it was sort of remarkable that you know you know and he was like yeah that's cool I mean they're gonna help you know it's like same same type of state is saying you know segregation and we hate these you know these 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 you know dockies and you know all sorts of rhetoric they also like look we're gonna pay so you don't come back home <laughs> we'll put some money on it like you know what i'm saying and and i, I think that it, it it is important to uh, i hope that and this is what i wanted to get into that i didn't speak to earlier there's still so much of a, of the depth of understanding of like the nuance and the detail of black history as it pertains to stuff like that, that I feel like, I don't know that we even, we really elevate and talk about within the context of the present and even our present decision-making that is beneficial that we should. Um, and then even, you know, I was thinking about like that whole generation. Um, and this may be my closing thought. Um, so I've been working through, uh, you know, for, for color girls who consider politics, and one of the early concepts in the book, she always, uh, and I, and I, because it's a narrator, I, I'm not 100% sure who's speaking at what time, um, but this concept of the have sums, like, and that's the way that they characterize, like, you know, black people who had some stuff happening, you know, there was a doctor or maybe there's a lawyer or there was a professional, you know, just like, you know, I'm from a family that of have sums, you know what I'm saying? Like my father did this, my mother did that. And so we had some things, we had some ability to move around and we came to this, you know, you know, wherever the different, the four figured persons in that story. Um, I, I think it, it would be great. And I think it'd be a great benefit in, in the next, in the coming years, to us as a community, and I think it'll benefit our larger, you know, public policy, political, economic policy thinking, and decision making, to investigate and really develop how we talk about class, you know, position, and all these things in our community. Hopefully, in a in a in a, in a place that does not create, um, I don't know, the sense that if someone had a you know a more privileged position that then they they are wrong and also that we 
only validate the achievement if it came from someone who started in the worst possible place. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like I started with, you know, my mother died during pregnancy, during the delivery with cocaine in my veins. And my father was in a, was shot out, was shot two days later. And then I was raised by the foster. Like, and then I was, you know what I mean? Like the most challenging, that's the only time your achievement is valid is if you come from the worst and most deplorable and unfair circumstances. And then on the other hand, that, you know, if you do minor improvement from, you know, just like we got to, we got to get better. <laughs> we got to find a way that we can talk about what we're doing and who we are without, you know, as I see it, making these, this thing where it's like a value judgment of your background. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, I, I don't know who that really serves, you know what I'm saying? And I would say that the, the larger establishment, they love, they love to find a black person who's had the worst possible experience in life and talk about them. Um, and sometimes I feel like we're too comfortable. We're going, yeah, that's cool. And they're saying, hey, brother, like you sound like you're trading on your pain and your pain and uh, and misery that other people ain't been able to escape. So you know, maybe put a little salt in your in your situation. And on the other hand, where we're at with, you know, if you if you do if you are you have started life with a very privileged circumstance and you're not aware that other people are suffering not due to their lack of effort, <laughs> but due to where they started in the in, in the contest, you know, please show some, uh, you know, slow down with your hubris and, you, you you know, show, you know, find some humility. Um, so that's ended just as many soapbox on that. But. Um, oh, good. So <laughs> I, I would say just in closing for me is two things that you talked about. And I think this, this conversation around segregation. We may like how we responded. It's okay to like how we responded to it versus liking the thing itself. Mm -hmm. We can like how we respond to segregation without liking segregation, mm -hmm. right? Like what, what we're really talking about is our resilience. We're not talking about the actual de facto segregation, mm -hmm. right? Or the ability that you can't go to a, a, a grocery store or that you can't go shop in the store. We're talking about we took that and then created things to make our own. Those should be bifurcated, right? Those should be separated. Mm. We care about our resilience. The policy wasn't cool. So then going back to I wish we were back here. No, you don't. You don't wish that you couldn't go to the supermarket. You don't wish that you couldn't have access to global capital. You don't wish that you had to stop on the side of a road or be in a hotel a certain way because black folks couldn't go places. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. you don't wish that. So that's one thing. Um, so the second thing, the second thing that I'll say is in regard to your conversation about class um, is the broader kind of dialogue on, you know, at one point, being a race woman or race man was not connected to class, mm. right? Post nonprofit industrial complex, <laughs> I think we have shifted this idea of what it means to act on behalf of Black people. Let's be real. Uh, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. wasn't born poor. Yeah. He dedicated himself to care about Black people. You know, I'm just using the Atlanta context for this. You know, yeah. um, Andrew Young wasn't born poor. WBD Boys wasn't born poor, right? Like, 
we have this idea. Fred Hampton wasn't born poor. Right. <laughs> right? Like uh, Kwame Torres, Sokley Carmichael, you know, for people who haven't changed since the 60s. Like, like they, <laughs> he wasn't born poor. Being a race man or woman didn't mean that you were born poor. It meant you cared about your people and you used the things you had to further the, the community. And so I think to your point, right now we're in a place of unsophisticated class perspectives on who's blackest is who's poorest because we've fallen victim to the idea that the blackest experience is the poorest experience. And I think with the creation of American ghettos, specifically in the North, the Midwest, and the South, right? Mm-hmm. That experience is now chronicled above all, right? Mm-hmm. Even when it comes to our music, when it comes to everything. Like, yeah. that's the experience that is the essence of the Black community. When that is but one manifestation of the black community yeah it is not the black community and i just think that we find ourselves trapped in that perspective because of the programming and because of the importance of kind of shifting the lot of our people who find themselves in those places we've gotten to a point of acting like if you're not there then you're not really black enough Right. Or if you've done well, you're not really black enough unless you were poor and then you did well. Then we still might say you're not black enough or we might say it's okay because you used to be really black. So we're okay with it. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. You started out super black. So we think we we like you no matter what you're doing now. There's there's still some remnants of being super black unless you're from a class time before us, which we don't give you no credit. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Like (laughs) won't give you no credit if you out Sharpton. But we still might give some other people credit. We give Jay-Z credit. He ain't been poor. He wasn't poor in the 90s. He wasn't. <laughs> Jay-Z ain't been poor in 30 years. Right. Right? He ain't been, he has not been a person you would consider poor since 1990. Right? But yet, he's still seen as fully in his blackness where you could take somebody else's because they might wear a suit and have made the same amount of money or less than him and question their blackness. So again, the, the, the nonprofit industrial complex, the ghetto industrial complex, and then a resulting music coming out of those complexes, frankly, mm-hmm. and the fetishization of blackness, um, both by non-black people and by black people, I think has created this complexity of what it means to be black on both sides is harmful. Right. Like sometimes it's almost like you ain't black enough if you don't do all the stuff that black people do. But sometimes the only way you black is if you've, you've been harmed and neither is true. So that's it for me. Yeah, man. So, you know, I'll make, I guess, well, my, my super, super closing closing. I'm just like, you know, I, you know one love and respect, you know, to um, Bernie Jordan, you know, his family, his descendants, his, you know, what have you, um, you know. Thank you. You know what I mean. His contribution. You know what I'm saying to the to what has happened and and, and the reality of of our lives for the, this last you know at least a part of the time that I 
I've been in the mix. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, much love and respect to that. And and then then just to people, man, like I said, you know, you you are not required to accept what you hear on the news as what you should remember <laughs> about a person. Like, you know, um, go, 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 go do some research, do some reading. Um, you know, a great many of the different people you know, whether those books are good or bad, um, that, that we could look at as black leaders over the last, you know, 30, 40, 50 years, there's a book, somebody got a book about them. You know what I mean? So go, go pick up the book. Hopefully they got a book they did themselves. You know what I'm saying, um, and, and, uh, and my, thing I think that would be really valuable at this time, as much as, and I'll say this for a future conversation, because it did actually come from, uh, something that <laughs> Charles Blow stated in an interview about uh, talk about his new book, but sort of the the race books that are clearly not necessarily race books for black people, like they're they're kind of chronicles of information for other people to understand black people. Um, somewhere within 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 this development, the the how we embrace understanding the history of the different forms of leadership and resistance that have shaped this the, the last century. I think is really going to be important for our current generation as they're having their, our young people. And when I say that, I say our under like 25, 26 crowd is having their, you know, realization moments in these different ways. Us making sure that they get the right information and the stories of these folks from the sixties and seventies and the eighties and the nineties is, is really going to be vitally important because otherwise they, they'll, there'll be a giant hole in how, um, how these time frames and what work was going on and what people were doing is seen and will likely lead to the repeat of, you know, quite frankly, bad policy decision-making and, and choices. So that's it for me. My man. Man. Well, appreciate you guys. And so with that, I say peace. Peace. Thank you for listening to good brothers. Thank you to my good brother. I'm adjusted. As always, you can find the podcast if you search for asholdhead.com or search for asholdhead, I guess. Also, you can go to asholdhead.com um, and get see uh, the podcast there. Uh, but it's most easily found by connecting and finding the pod on wherever you listen to podcasts. So Apple Music, uh, SoundCloud even, uh, what else? All of them. Radio Public. Google Podcasts, we're having a little bit of a technical problem. I think their app is, for some reason, pulling the wrong feed. But we'll work on that. Or, I should say, I'll work on that. Podcast is brought to you every week uh, by myself, um, with the good help of my good brother, uh, for coming in and conversating and adding on with me. Uh, please take the best part for yourself. If you want to support the podcast, uh, first thing you can do is to share and to listen You know, regularly. Uh, you can also become a patron on Patreon. You could also uh, head to the Etsy shop and buy a sweatshirt or a t-shirt or a mug. Uh, more to come on that front. And this year, as I'm getting the new season of Asher Oldhead in line, uh, should be a very interesting year and a deeper exploration into you know what it means to be what it, what the life of black men is like right now. Uh, you know, at least through my lens as a as a creator and a contributor. Anyway, I'm stop talking the ear off. So, thank you for listening, and as always, take the best part for yourself. Peace. <laughs>